Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 Welcome to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson. Here you will hear teaching that will challenge you to a deeper walk with Jesus. Whatever place you are in your understanding of God's plan for your life, you will grow closer by listening. No shame, no guilt and no condemnation but you will be challenged to a closer walk with God. Now, here's Pastor Israel with today's teaching. The message this morning is finding true greatness. Now, that might be troublesome to some people to think, well, aren't we great only when we are humble? What is this thing about being a great person or having greatness in our lives. And we're going to look at the parable of the pearl of great price and the parable of the hidden treasure. Two combined parables that speaks to this idea of the value that God has placed in you and I. Now that's important. Our greatness, our value is assessed by God. Not by anything or anyone else. Our text is taken from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. It reads, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. These are two parables combined into one that makes up a six of the parables of the kingdom of God uttered by Jesus in the Gospels. Okay? The other six or the other, the other five were the parable of the sower, the weeds, the mustard seed, the yeast, and the net. Just to give you a perspective of our text, of what we're looking at this morning. These parables are largely about the new covenant that Jesus brought in through his life, his death, and his resurrection. This is about the kingdom of heaven and what it's like, what it teaches us. Now, it's very important to understand in context that this parable was written as the entire Gospel of Matthew was written for a predominantly Jewish audience. And it's about this parable, these two parables, these two combined parables. It's about the king of Israel, Jesus, ushering the kingdom of God to God's, through God's chosen nation. Okay? So it's pretty easy when you recognize that this parable was written predominantly for a Jewish audience. Now, I know what you're probably scratching your head. You know, I, I came to church this morning and I'm f- the farthest thing from talking about what it means to be a Jew. 
Okay? Now, I understand that, but you and I have to realize that our faith, our covenant is deeply rooted in Jesus being a Jew. And we see that in this parable. Okay? The hidden treasure and the pearl of great price can easily be um, described, can easily be understood. Okay? Now put yourself in the shoes of the 12 disciples who heard this parable for the first time. Okay? Now believe me, this is important. And it matters for you and I today. Okay? In the parable of the hidden treasure, the field spoken about represents the whole world. That's important. The man who was looking for that pearl represents Jesus. And the treasure represents the nation of Israel. So from that alone, you figure out, okay, Jesus came into God's chosen people, okay? And when he recognized the value of that, 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 um, that treasure called the nation of Israel, the Bible says that the man sold everything in order to buy that field. And the same thing happens with the pearl. The merchant in that parable was Jesus. The pearl was Israel. And the marketplace was the world. In essence, the parable is saying that God intended to save the whole world and He's going to do it this way. He's going to do it through a nation. So that's why our faith as Christians is deeply rooted on God's sovereign plan to carry out the salvation of the world through the pearl and the treasure called Israel. So when people say, so how come, you know, your, your, your faith in Jesus? Jesus, uh, why Jesus? Why not an Irish guy? Why not a Chinese guy? God's plan from the beginning of time is to save the whole world through the nation he called a pearl and a treasure. And he sold everything. That selling, that whole thing is Jesus on the cross. Sold everything to buy the whole world so you can praise God for the existence of a nation through which Jesus came. Salvation is from the Jews, Jesus said. That's what it means. So don't be confused. Don't tell people, you know, hey, you're just another one of the religious. Your, your religious guru is Jesus. And our religious guru is this guy. No, nothing like that at all. Revelation. God's revelation through His Word reveals to us that salvation comes from the plan that God had all along. That to bring the fate of Abraham to all of the nations. We are an Abrahamic religion. That means we trace our faith through the nation where Abraham came from. Our Savior came as a Jewish carpenter. But that's been God's plan. To place the value of that nation and it expand it through, through the entire world. Okay? So, his disciples understood the parables as Jesus being the true king of Israel has come to earth for the purpose of saving God's chosen people and in the process finding that treasure, that pearl, and went ahead and saved the whole world through that nation. Okay, fine, pastor. 
fine and good. What does it have to do with me right now? Well, first of all, we know that God chose to save the world through His chosen nation. That has to be settled. We need to settle that. And you might be thinking, that doesn't matter to me. Yes, it does matter. Because how we process our faith in Jesus matters. There's enough uh, wishy-washy thinking about the gospel that, that we have so much false conversions happening in our world that you can't tell the truth anymore, you know. It's hard to figure this out because there's nothing being given in context. No, we're not second-class afterthought people as Gentiles. God has planned to save the world by bringing a Messiah that comes from His chosen nation. And so, okay, now we, 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 we get all of that history and all of that theology. Fine. What does it have to do with me? So, let's talk about what the parable really is about. The main thing, the bottom line of this parable is this, that God has spared no expense because He sees you and I as of great value enough to send Jesus to save us. Okay? Well, that's pretty elementary. That's Gospel 101. I understand that, Pastor. I understand that God has loved me so much and has given great value to me enough to sacrifice His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that He can keep that pearl, that treasure, and make it available to the world. We understand that. But that's not the question we need to ask ourselves. It's not that we do not understand how much of a value God has given us. It's how do we, do we respond. God said that you are a pearl of great price. And I've sold everything to get you. You are a treasure that was hidden underground. And I put so much of a value on you that I sold everything and bought the piece of land. That speaks of the greatness that God has placed on you and I. He has given us a great value. So because of His great love for us, He sent the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think there's any doubt about the greatness of our value as far as God is concerned. Now think about that for a moment. This parable says He has placed a great value in you and I. Because He values us so much and He loves us so much. Now, we understand that. John 3.16 says that, amen, for God so loved the world that He gave. We all know the verse. In fact, many of you, that's the only verse you memorize, which is no good. Okay? You should, you should be memorizing a lot of the words in Scriptures. You should be able to quote Scriptures uh, every time, you know, you, you worship God. You know, that, that, that's, that's very important. There's no doubt as to how God puts value in us, that God calls us great. Now, a lot of you may have a problem with that, but that, nevertheless, that's true. God has given us such a great value, and we all understand that. 
But the question we need to answer is how do we respond to that value that God has given us? How do we live up to that? You know, greatness is a statement of value. When you say something or someone is great, you're ascribing some kind of value to that person. Okay? So greatness is a statement of value. We put some value on something and we recognize that that's great. Well, how does God measure that greatness that he has placed on me? Now, we agreed that God thinks greatly of us, that he has placed a great value on us. That's never been in question. Jesus died on the cross already. How do we respond? How do we live up to that title that God has given us. You're great. All right? You're great. You're great. You're great. How do you respond to that? How do you live up to that? It is not me saying you're great. It is not the world saying you're great. It is God saying you're great. So how do we respond? What is God looking for when he says to us, you're great? How does God validate that greatness that he has placed in you and I? couple of things this morning. Four things that validates and measures that greatness. And it's all based on what Jesus did. So how, do we, how does God measure that greatness? He measures it on the basis of how close Jesus is projected in our life. You will hear this term. If you've been a Christian a long time, you will hear the term Christ-likeness. Okay? Christ-likeness. When God says, I have given everything to, uh, and put value on you, He measures our value, He measures our greatness on the basis of how much Jesus is projected in our life. Greatness is ultimately Christ-likeness. So church, loved ones, church is for God's people. Why do you think you come on Sunday? Sunday is not for the pagan. Sunday is not for anybody else. It's not even for unbelievers. Church is for Christians. Because this is where we learn Christ-likeness. This is where we learn our value. In the sight of God. This is where we learn how to validate what God has already said about us. And he has given us a great value. We need to become like Jesus. And becoming like Jesus could never ever be achieved outside connectedness to his body. You're not wasting your time this morning. I always say that, not just because I preach on Sunday, but because this is the mandate. We learn. We absorb. We process this thing called Christ-likeness. Are you recognizing that Jesus is the head of the church? Or who's the body? <laughs> We're part of that. We're part of Jesus. And God measures our greatness on the basis of our Christ likeness. What does it look like? Number one, Jesus was a seeker of God's glory and therefore becoming like Jesus means we become seekers of God's glory. 
I hope you came in this morning because you're seeking the glory of God. Listen, no Sunday mornings, no opportunity that we have as a church to assemble must neglect the fact that some kind of glory about God is revealed. That's how serious worship services ought to be. We don't simply come in here and stand and sing songs. I mean, the, the worship team understands that. Every word we utter, every praise we utter must project the glory of God because what we're saying every time we come to worship services, I'm seeking God's glory. And we have the Holy Spirit and we will ne- the Spirit will never ever waste our time and not reveal to us something about the glory of God every time we come together in worship. I really believe that with all of my heart. You know, sometimes you see me raising my hands. I mean, you raise your hands and all of that. You know why? Is it just because I want to get emotional and get showy? Are we showy? No, we're not showy. When somebody says, the Lord's name is magnified, I agree with that. I've seen it in my life. There have been many times that I could have been dead. And I survived to one more day say, glory to God. We need to be seekers of God's glory. We are only as valuable as the sum total of our pursuits in life. Did you know that? If we're to examine our lives today, all of us, just to be honest before God and ourselves, what has been the overarching pursuit of your life and mine. You know, the younger you are, the more pursuits you have. Amen? The younger you have, the more ambitions you have. The younger you are, the more, you know, flexible you are in what you want to do because you got years to spare. Right? When I was uh, seven years old, I wanted to be a doctor. By the time I'm seven and a half, I want to be a pilot. But there's pursuits that we have in life. And we have many pursuits. The older we get, you know, maybe those pursuits get get, lessened. But we still pursue many things. But listen, loved ones, life is too short to have many pursuits. Life is too short to have many, many kinds of things that we want to go after. Life is short. Believe me, I remember what I ate when I was like 12 And that was a long time ago. You know, I went to first grade. That was in 1968. That was a long time ago. Sorry to say to myself. That was a long time ago. The world has changed. Life is too short to have a bunch of pursuits. There's only one pursuit that really matters in life. And that is the pursuit of Christ. That's the key to a great life. You want to have a great life? Pursue, chase after, go after Christ-likeness. There is that one thing that the Word of God tells us that when we pursue, we'll guarantee that when we get it in life, life will be worth living, and that is pursuing the glory of God. You want to have a great life? Seek after God's glory. Chase me, God says. Come after me. Pursue me. 
King David says in Psalm 27 verse 4, he was, the, he was a man after God's own heart. He said these words, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. This one thing I do, I chase after God's glory. You want to find true greatness? Seek after God's glory. Pursue the things of God. Well, pastor, I understand that. Believe me, I do. The fact is, I want to do that. But I struggle. It's not automatic in me. I, I want to pursue God. I want to be more, more godly. I want to be like other people that I see. They just, their love for God is just projected so powerfully. I want to be like Mike. You know, I want to be that. I want to be that person. But it's just hard for me. I struggle so much with trying to, to, to do that. Do you know what you're missing? You haven't made the decision to really change the focus of your heart. There's no magic to it. There's no heart. I'm a 49ers fan. Listen to me very carefully. This is a good illustration. Maybe you're Raiders fans. Forget about it. Forget the Raiders. I'm a 49ers fan. I pursued and followed them in the good times and in the bad times. I watch all the games, preseason games, regular season games, and games, garbage games where it doesn't matter. I watch everything. If any one of those players from the 49ers run for president, I vote. I vote for that person. I pursued them when they were winning Super Bowls. And I pursued them when the kickers couldn't even. I mean, a, a paralyzed man can kick a field goal and it will go in. And I, I pursued them. I pursued them when Joe Montana was the quarterback. And I pursued them when Jim Miller was the quarterback. Gino Toretta. Who the heck are those? See? You don't even know. I pursued these people. I pursued my team. Why? Because I set my heart to pursue them. Same thing you do with Taylor Swift or whoever. The Beyonce. You pursue these people. Right? We do. You know, I did the same thing to my wife. I pursued her. All right? Whether I felt the love or not. What's the point here? We rely so much on what, what... Why are we having so much trouble pursuing God's glory? Because we want to dictate how the relationship goes. You see, with the 49ers, I don't get to dictate whether they're going to win or not. I want them to win. Oh, heck yeah, yeah, I do. But I don't get to dictate who's, who's going to play, how well they're going to play. None of that is up to me. But I set my heart to pursue them. And you know, why are we having so much trouble when it comes to God? Why? Because we want to dictate the relationship. And you know what we become? We become bandwagon fans. We're only there for the 49ers when they're winning. Yeah, some of you, you that way. Shame on you. Shame. No. That's not right. 
We set our hearts on the things of God, whether things are going well or not, whether He's doing the things we want Him to do or not, whether He's speaking to us loudly or whether He's quiet. We set our hearts to pursue the glory of God. That's what, been, what it means to be a Christian. Well, Pastor, I, str- I struggle because I don't set my heart. Listen to me. It's easy to set your heart on God. Just set it. Don't have to struggle. You can do it. God wants to be in charge of our relationship with Him, not the other way around. He has to be in charge. We need to allow Him to change our heart. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, He said this to His people. The Lord your God will change your heart. Oh, I love that. The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants. Yeah, you have children? So that they or you will love Him with all your heart and soul and so you may live. Let me read that again. That's a beautiful verse, isn't it? It's worth putting on your refrigerator. It's worth putting on everywhere in your house. The Lord will change your heart. And the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul. And so you may live. We rely so much on what... Why are we having so much trouble pursuing God's glory? Because we want to dictate how the relationship goes. You've been listening to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson, a ministry of Living Rock Christian Church in Sunnyvale, California. If you have been helped by this radio program and would like to keep it on the air, your continued prayerful and financial support is greatly appreciated. Please visit livingontherockradio.com where all your tax-deductible gifts will go directly to the radio ministry. That's livingontherockradio.com. Living Rock is a church that doesn't care how you are dressed or what candidate you voted for. A church made up of imperfect people from all walks of life with a hunger and thirst to understand God's plan for our lives. No matter what you've been through or what questions you may have about God and faith, you will find love, grace, and hope at Living Rock Christian Church, 675 East Taylor Avenue in Sunnyvale, with Sunday worship starting at 1030 a.m. More information at livingontherockradio.com.